This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And we are joined now by Danielle DiMartino Booth, who is CEO and Chief Strategist for Quill Intelligence. Danielle, a pleasure to have you with us today. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And so uh, let me get you a read on, on all of this that has gone around inflation over the last uh, several weeks and, and where you think we're headed at this point, because there are still a lot of questions, obviously to the level of impact, but how long this is going to play out. And, and that is the real question. And I think what people are, are, are missing here, and it's because it's, it's kind of arcane, you don't want to get in the weeds. It's that while food inflation and gasoline inflation are, are certainly the most visible forms of price pressures for your average working U.S. household, it's house price pressures that are the stickiest. And when I say stickiest, I mean the most persistent. You're asking how long this is going to last. I don't expect for housing inflation to peak until at least August, because that comes through into the consumer price index, the CPI, with such a long lag time. So that is going to present a problem for Powell because it's 40% of the makeup of the CPI headed into a very tempestuous midterm election season. Yeah, and I've read a couple of articles uh, recently where you've you've looked at the the path that the Federal Reserve has taken and maybe have some questions on how they have handled this over the last few months. Yeah, it, um, this this has really been a, a disaster. I, I, I watched yet another an interview with the administration where they're lamenting the fact that gasoline prices are as high as they are. They're doing things to try and bring down, potentially bring down the price of oil, but there's not a recognition of the fact that even if that does come down, we don't have the refining capacity in the United States in order to pass those lower oil prices along in the form of lower gasoline or lower lower diesel prices because they're, they're, these are massive investments you're talking about in refineries, yeah. and these investments have been highly discouraged. We're talking about multi-billion dollar, multiple year long investments, and these oil companies have been said have been told, don't do it. It's going to be a loss to you. So why would they? In terms of the, the, the rate increase at 75 points, give me your thoughts on that move and, and whether or not it was the right number in the scope of where we are and whether or not, because of the understanding that we knew something big was going to have to happen, whether we could have even gone to 100 basis points. Well, that's the thing. And I think, uh, I think the, the communication at the Fed has been sorely lacking. There was obviously a leak to the media in advance of that 75 basis point hike. Uh, that's come under scrutiny because Powell had insisted in March that 75 basis points was off the table. And then he obviously flip-flopped on that and came through with a stronger rate hike. But to your question, if you can go from 50 to 75 in 48 hours, and, and, and that doesn't even begin to address the level of inflation being somewhere in north of 8%, why wouldn't you have just gone for, for one percentage point and, and, yeah. and ripped the Band-Aid off in that fashion? If, if, we're, if we're talking about quarter of a percentage point, not really not being that meaningful. And again, I think that we're dealing right now with the Federal Reserve that is struggling with its credibility and its messaging. Yesterday, we had stocks, uh, um, Powell's first day on the Hill, we had stocks really come back from, from being depressed because Powell was again a little wishy-washy, saying, you know, maybe if we if the economy slows, we don't have to raise rates as much. So right. 
it's the messaging, it's the communication. I wish that they would become a little bit more consistent. We're talking about a time, obviously, where the, the potential of recession is obviously on the on the minds of a, a lot of people, whether you be an economist or, or just the average consumer, a lot of them are thinking about that. And, and a lot of those people have obviously, uh, many of them have gone through a period where they had a pay increase, but that pay increase has basically been eaten away because of the level in, of inflation. So this has become a, a real challenge for millions of Americans, and it doesn't feel like it's going to uh, ease any time in the near future. No, it doesn't. And you bring up a very valid point, and that's that you know, it, it's great that you've had a, a, a raise, but if that doesn't keep up with your cost of living, then it, it really is somewhat irrelevant. And you know, now you're seeing the old cliche play out. It, you know, it, it's, a, it's a recession when somebody else loses their job. It's a depression when you lose your job and the layoff announcements really are multiplying and spreading across industries. It's not just a Silicon Valley phenomenon. It's not just a phenomenon within the mortgage lending industry where they overhired another, they're pulling back. We are seeing it across a wide variety of geographies and industries in the United States now. Well, and then you have to throw in, speaking of, of that, thinking about supply chain and, and what supply chain is going to look like over the next 20, 30, 40 years, and, and maybe some of the fundamental changes that need to occur in that process. Uh, you know, that that is a lesson I wish we would have taken away in a stronger sense after what happened, not just with uh, the pandemic, but also with the trade war. That's, yeah. that's when these lessons should have started to have been learned. Hey, you know what? We need, we need to build supply chains that are closer to home. We've got these great allies called Canada and Mexico. We, we need to strengthen our ties with them, help their infrastructure modernize such that we're not so reliant uh, on, on supply chains halfway around the world. I don't know that that's necessarily been embraced to, to a great enough extent. Uh, and again, a lot of it comes out of the leadership of the country for generations not being encouraging enough to companies to make these radical changes in how they supply input. So going back to something you mentioned before about uh, the the impact on housing uh, that inflation is having right now, when you I guess when you have the strength in that area and the level of increase in that area, if we're going to see gasoline prices maybe level off, they've ticked down a few pennies the last few days uh you know the price at the grocery stores maybe have have leveled off a little bit that's it's nice but it doesn't have the impact that it, that it really needs to no it doesn't especially if you're talking about gee prices have stopped going up but they're going to plateau at a really high level while yeah. the economy slows <laughs> that doesn't help you that really yeah. does not help households and in fact it makes it worse because again in the background, we've seen jobless claims slowly tick up from their mid-March lows to where they are now. Jobless claims are up about 38% nationwide. Typically, you're already in recession, but time they ticked up about 50%. So we don't have much further to go uh, in terms of job losses before we are looking in the rearview mirror at being in recession. So what's your thoughts on the path of inflation over the next several months? I think that inflation is going to be stubbornly high uh, in the coming months as summer draws out because, again, 
it's the input of housing that is uh, the, the housing inflation right now. Believe it or not, I, I, I know it seems like a, a million years ago, but housing inflation right now is higher than it was at the peak of the housing bubble that was such a big to do in 2005, 2006, 2007. Housing is actually more problematic for households than it was back then. And we anticipate those numbers to continue rising through Labor Day. Recession early next year? I think there's a good chance, given the rapidity with which we're seeing consumer spending slow uh, and how low uh, right now we're, that, that, we, that we've got GDP estimates, that we're already in recession. S&P Global's got one of the most uh, revered GDP models. Right now they see second quarter GDP, which ends in just a few days, June 30, at 0.8% and declining. Yep. The Atlanta Fed GDP now estimate is 0%. You add that to the negative print in the first quarter, and I think that there's a very good possibility that we are actually already in recession and that when the National Bureau of Economic Research goes back and dates it, which is a 12 to 18 month lag, typically, that they will say that it started at the beginning of 2022. I know that's a contrarian view, Mm -hmm. but that's where we see the data coming in. All right, Danielle, appreciate your insight. Thank you very much. All the best. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thank you. Danielle DiMartino Booth, CEO and Chief Strategist with Quill Intelligence. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.